Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Defiant. Adrift but salvageable. Tough little ship. Little. Here we go, folks. Episode 260 of Positively Trek, and it's a book club episode, which means if you've been keeping up with us here in 2024, we are doing a deep dive on the ongoing Star Trek comic series from IDW. And in this episode, we're going to be jumping into the spinoff. It already has a spinoff, Star Trek Defiant. Uh, We have the first volume that we're going to be talking about. doesn't have a subtitle like God Chalk or anything like that. It's just Defiant Volume 1. So if you haven't read that, go read that. And joining me to discuss this is my partner in comics crime, Brandy Jackala. Brandy, welcome back. Oh, thank you. I'm so hyped. I'm ready to talk. (laughs) Excellent. So yeah. Uh, This ongoing Star Trek series that started back in 2022, already like five issues in, is setting up a spinoff, Star Trek Defiant. And we've got Worf and this very interesting band of crew members he's assembled. So uh, first of all, right off the top, we're going to be jumping right into spoilers. This is just a wild, crazy story that I think needs to be examined top to bottom. So. you know, no, uh, no sympathy for you. If you haven't read these and decide to continue listening, you're going to get spoiled. And, uh, if you're into that, that's cool. No judgment here. You know, and that's the thing. I don't, I don't like to be spoiled anymore. I used to like that. And now I don't like, even when I have movie nights with my husband, Dave, I don't want to know what he's picked because we alternate each week Mm. and he'll, he'll ask me, what are we watching when it's my pick? And I'll say, I don't want to know. Uh, go ahead, start the movie. <laughs> and I'm like covering my eyes so I don't see like the title of it, right? As he's pressing play or anything. So. That's great. I like that. That's fun. You know, one of the best movie experiences I ever had was uh, do you remember the movie Gravity with Sandra Bullock? And, oh, yes. Uh, it stressed me the hell out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very stressful movie. But a bunch of friends were going to a movie and I, for whatever reason, had never heard of it, hadn't seen a poster, hadn't seen a thing. And like as we're walking into the, th- into the theater, I said, you know, what are we watching? And said, oh, Gravity. And I was like, I have no idea what this is about. And loved it. That was amazing. That is, if you can go into a film or any piece of media completely blind and i know that's next to impossible these days but if you can manage it it is so much fun (laughs) it is and i don't i don't even watch movie trailers anymore the only time i see movie trailers is when i'm going to the movies and to see another movie and i can't Mm. help but see the trailer (laughs) (laughs) yeah and and there are plenty of things where like okay um, I don't know if you've heard of it or know about it or if you ha- have seen it or whatever, but Godzilla Minus One mm. is something that flew kind of under the radar and then everybody was talking about it for a little while. And it did get nominated for, I think, a Visual Effects Academy Award. And I'm like, are you kidding me? That's really mm. it? In fact, I don't even get me started on what I think of the Academy Award nominations this year. But um, <laughs> yeah. But, but long story short, I knew nothing except it was Godzilla. That is all that I knew. I was already in because I love Godzilla or Godzilla, as actually it's supposed to be said. Yeah, it was it was a transformative experience. That is all I'm going to say about it. And I knew nothing about it. And seeing it was just without knowing anything about it. It was just I I left the theater um, contemplating my mortality and the nature of life itself. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Right. From a Godzilla movie. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, well, I mean, I I would love to see that movie, but the the local theater here in their infinite wisdom just never even brought it in. So, uh, you know, I can drive five hours mm. to go see it, which actually I have friends that have done that and gone and seen that movie now. 
uh, I maybe should have joined them, but that's not in the cards right now, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, so I'm not going to be able to see it until it hits streaming, which I guess these days is is generally fairly quickly. So somewhere I'll be able to see it someday soon, I'm sure. Yeah. Sorry for the diversion. One thing I will say, though, when you do see it, I will remind you that it cost $15 million to make. Wow. $15 million. Yeah. Now, that sounds like a lot of money. But when you consider that the average movie budget is like $150, $200 million, mm-hmm. $15 million they made this movie. That's wild. Yeah. Well, we are, are not talking about uh, <laughs> Godzilla Minus One throughout the rest of the episode, which is, no, that's okay. I, I like that. That was, that was fun. But- We are going to talk about, like I said, Star Trek Defiant, this omnibus edition that we're kind of using as the framework for the episode, uh, contains the first five issues of the series. So if you're reading issue by issue, this is issues one to five. Interestingly enough, and I think this kind of goes towards what I was saying last time with this kind of, they're trying to dress these books up a little bit as not individual comic issues but more of just a story they there's nothing online anywhere in the description of this omnibus that says that it's issues one to five and in fact only one place has any indication of which issues it is and that is memory alpha and memory alpha says one to four so they're wrong like it was a little bit i i physically a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about doing this episode i had to message brandy because i had opened the book and physically counted the issues in it and said, no, it's, it's issues one to five. So that's weird. First of all, I Mm. get what they're doing with the, like trying to make it seem more like a book. And that's kind of how we're going to talk about it today. Not necessarily issue by issue, but it's frustrating when you're just trying to plan out how you want to do these things. Yes. The least they could have done is just slip a page in there at the end saying this omnibus contained issues, blah through blah. I mean, really, that's not that hard. No, I don't think so. Memory Alpha. I mean, I guess anybody can get on there and edit, but uh, that needs to change. It says one to four. It still says one yeah. to four. It needs to say one to five. <laughs> Y'all, somebody who has access, go go fix that, please. Yes. I, I know definitely. you're listening. I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> So let's get into the story. Uh, This is, like I said, a spinoff from the mainline Star Trek series. It's spinning off from issue number five, which, if you might remember, had that big blow up between Sisko and Worf. And Worf is kicked off the, uh, the Theseus's bridge. And from there, he steals a shuttlecraft. And that's kind of where we pick up with this one. Actually, I should say with issue one, we don't pick up there. We pick up sometime later and we get kind of flashbacks as to how they ended up in this situation which i have some opinions on i feel Mm. like the reason they did the story that way is because it's a little bit outlandish Mm. like if we just saw Worf initially land on this planet and then meet with spock and then go steal the defiant and then get lore and roe and balana it would have been like that doesn't make sense, but you get him in <laughs> situ already with this kind of assembled and then build it back from there. You kind of get used to it, I guess. I don't know. Am I off base there? <laughs> no, not at all. In fact, one of the one of the key concepts of good storytelling is start the story as late as possible mm-hmm. and get out as early as you can, as yeah. in don't linger over things that don't matter. So... What's the core of the story? Tell that. And that's what they're doing. I had a writing teacher once say that, you know, write your story and then throw out chapter one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because invariably it's going to be introducing the characters and setting up relationships. And it's like, no, 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 no. You know, if someone's looking at your life, you're not going to spend an hour standing in front of them telling them who your family is and who all these people. No, they'll figure that out from the story. It's yeah. really good advice. It is. And uh, and also uh, what I learned about storytelling is uh, what the basic format of telling any story is uh, take your character, put them up in a tree, throw rocks at them, and then find a way to get them down. Interesting. I like that. <laughs> I had a really great creative writing teacher when I was a sophomore in high school. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, we we have them on the Defiant. Worf is the captain, even though the computer doesn't recognize him as such. Spock helps out with that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. That was great. And and Worf begins a pattern of ripping things and throw it like 
apart and throwing them at a wall. That this mm. is not the last time that will happen. I also love the computer like sounding an alert and saying there's structural damage <laughs> and repairs are needed. <laughs> <laughs> I just yes, picked I, I just that. imagine Majel Barrett's voice for that too, of course. Oh I do oh the the entire time that I'm reading this this particular series, I can hear Leonard Nimoy's voice in my mm-hmm. head. I can hear him speak every one of these words. Whoever wrote him, because I know that there's more, is there more than one writer? There's more than one writer. I think this is Christopher Cantwell is, Just, okay. is credited as the writer. Yeah. Perfect. Well, then he really knows. He really knows Spock's voice. I was very impressed. Yeah. A lot of different voices as well in this come across uh, mm-hmm. in interesting ways. And I'll bring up some edge cases as well, but for the most part, really enjoying this for sure. And, and hearing those voices. Absolutely. So they, uh, yeah, they acquire Rolaren out of prison. Uh, they also recruit Bolana Torres and they steal lore from section 31, which, uh, I mean, wow, really? That's, that's going to go horribly wrong. <laughs> this we all know seems it. like a bad idea. <laughs> And see, and that's one of the most interesting things about the story is Spock's continuing introspection about logic looking like madness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a big part in um, issue four of this, mm-hmm. where Spock is. There's this running dialogue, or, or or internal monologue, I guess, running through the entire issue, where yeah, he's comparing logic to madness. And there's this thing they do, they do it in issue three as well with kind of a long running monologue. And you're, you know, in that one, you're not sure who it is who's saying this and and stuff. And you kind of learn at the end in this one, like the one in issue three, which we'll talk about as well. There's that little twist at the end that they Mm -hmm. like to do where he's, like I said, comparing logic to madness. And at the end, he says, I can only conclude that my decision to rebuild lore is insanity (laughs) (laughs) oh didn't think you're going there with that okay yeah makes sense and yet logical was Mm -hmm. there any other choice that's the thing yeah because i like how lore is rebuilt right Mm -hmm. because they just have him as his head and they're connecting him to the systems to do these calculations and stuff fairly safe he doesn't have autonomy he's still connected to the computer i that's even that's questionable to me but the Defiant is getting attacked by this Orion ship and is, you know, moments away from being destroyed. Spock is, you know, in the position of having to irradiate himself to repair the warp drive. Gee, that sounds kind of familiar. But Lore says, I can do this and, you know, basically fix the systems with my body. Spock says, that's logical. Reassembles Lore and sends him in. And now Lore is autonomous and has a body. That's maybe not the best situation. So far, (laughs) it's worked out. But Mm -hmm. I see bad things on the horizon. (laughs) Oh, it's Lore. Of course, there's going to be a turn. There's going to be. Mm -hmm. We all know it. We're all waiting for it. We're all hoping it won't happen, but we know that it will. Totally. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Worf, I guess, in this story, because uh, he's upset with Cisco. Obviously, that's why he's gone off and done this. Um, he's very aggressive in his command style. No surprise there. It's Worf. Mm. But in the course of this story, also, he's grievously injured and has to take the Red Path Sacrament, this concoction that's mostly apparently Klingon adrenaline to keep himself alive because he doesn't want to undergo surgery. He has to stay in command and be all in command and stuff. But, and this stuff's basically helping him limp along and therefore it's making him even more aggressive, which, you know, I, I get that for the, the edge that this comic wants to have. And we'll talk a little bit about the edginess that's introduced into a lot of stuff in this comment comic, including people swearing every other word. (laughs) (laughs) I was delighted with that. Of course, you know, it's never it's never actually fully written out, but we know what no. they're saying. Yeah. We know what it's saying. it's all, you know, pound signs and ambersands and you know, that style of of censorship, I guess. 
But uh, yeah, so Worf is even more aggressive than usual, amping up his adrenaline levels. What do you think of Worf in this? Well, the thing is, is that it's really not his fault because they, you know, the person whose name we don't know yet, still, mm -hmm. um, she tells him, yeah, if we do surgery on you, you're not going to survive it. <laughs> so this is the only way to keep you going until these two chambers of your heart you know, catch up with everything else. Uh, so she basically gives him no choice in the matter. And he's like apologizing beforehand. He's like, look, this is what's <laughs> happening. And I'm going to be awful. And it's not because I'm trying to be awful. It's because of this adrenaline, which is also it's not just adrenaline. It's something else, which we find out later as well in there. And, and also the guilt over Alexander is eating him alive. So it is this perfect storm of circumstances and basically drugs in his system that is just making him off the rails more than anything we've seen before. Which is interesting. And like, I would be really worried if I was serving under him for this. <laughs> Which well, is something that Worf is aware of, though, too. Yeah. Yeah, he is self-aware. It's mm -hmm. not like he doesn't know what his actions are like and how they're being perceived and how he sounds, how he looks. I mean, just the, just the constant, like, ferocity on his face. Which, by the way, the artwork in this is oh, yeah. so amazing. It is beautiful. It is so good. You you know who, who everyone is. You can tell exactly. They are so perfectly drawn. Facial expressions. Oh, the facial expression. I, can, I can't mm -hmm. even go on because we'll spend the entire rest of this podcast talking about that if I have my way. So <laughs> I, I will leave it there. We all know how I feel about the artwork now. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to see Worf like this, really. Yeah, and I know it is extremely frustrating for him, much less the people around him. But I think the people around him are handling it better than he is. That's true. I do like those moments though, where Worf, you know, is in private with Spock, for example, and is asking Spock, like, "Am I failing in this? Is this not?" going well mm -hmm. <laughs> and Spock kind of has to reassure him a little bit and Spock's an interesting one as well because he's questioning his own logic at times and there was one moment where I was like you kind of logic your way out of this one and, and I don't know if I necessarily agree where Worf is basically saying I feel like I'm incapacitated and I feel like I should hand over command to you and Spock says I cannot accept that because by questioning yourself, you have demonstrated that you are fit for command because you're questioning yourself. So no. And I kind of get that. But at the same time, like that's a bit of circular logic that if you took it to its extreme ends, that doesn't work. <laughs> well, I think what he's trying to say, and, you know, this is just my interpretation of it, is that leaders aren't perfect and those leaders who think that they are always in the right and always doing the right thing and doing what's necessary without ever questioning themselves, those people are poor leaders. They are going mm -hmm. to get you killed or worse. I know yeah. you think that there's nothing worse than being dead, but there are things that are mm -hmm. worse than being dead. So I, that's kind of how I interpreted it is Spock yeah. saying, because you're self-aware enough to question if you're doing the right thing means that you are still capable of making good decisions. Yeah. And I get that. Like I, I get that reasoning, but the actual concerns that Worf brought up with his command, Spock didn't address them. He just said, Oh, just basically the fact that you're questioning those, uh, I think you're okay to command. And I feel like Worf should have said, but what about the specific things I said? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about the reasons I think I shouldn't be in command? <laughs> but honestly, it's Spock. Is anyone going to say that to Spock? No. True. No one is going to say that to Spock. Spock is basically like God level of famous at this point, even though he's been, you know, on Romulus for whatever, many years, etc. Still trying to work on reunification. God love him. And... Uh, 
So, you know, does anyone really, really question Spock at this point? Yeah. And and Worf wasn't one to do that either. But I think that this, that his answer actually had more to do with Spock than it did with Worf. And it's that he's like, if if you're not fit for command, I'm not fit for command either. That's and a good point. <laughs> you have to be fit for command or else my logic starts to crash. Yeah, because he's being very self-reflective as well and, and questioning his own logic for sure. I always push against, and, and there's so many different novels that just bring Spock in because, and, mm. and Resurgence brought him in for the game and all this stuff. I always start to wonder like, are we using Spock too much? Is Spock, you know, ah, he's just the trump card they bring in all the time. In this case, I'm a little bit more forgiving because of Worf's status as an ambassador. I guess he might have, you know, had a relationship with Spock that way. I will say encountering, happening to crash on the Romulan world of Chaltok 4 and Spock happening to be there, a little bit, but not egregious to the levels of like Kirk and Spock in a cave in 09. Don't even get me started on that. <laughs> that entire movie made me so angry. I know people love it and it's fine. It's fine. Go ahead and love it. it I, <laughs> I didn't love it, but I recognize that it is the reason why we have the Trek that we have today and I'm not going to crap on it. So, you know, except for that one thing that's like, that is just really convenient. I'm not mm. sure I can, ha I'm not sure that that's okay. <laughs> just and, that, was, and that's what I'm saying is like, this is, this is approaching that, but I, yeah. I feel like it's like, uh, there's enough reasons he could be there. I don't, I still not exactly clear how Worf ended up exactly there. It didn't seem like they were close to Romulan space in the Star Trek comic, but that's okay. He just happened to crash on a Romulan planet and Chaltok 4, which ties into Star Trek Picard, which is kind of fun. It, it kind of makes me wonder because that's not really explained. Um, I'm going to just headcanon this. And say that Worf was looking for Spock. And that's why he's just like, I sure. need allies. I need allies. I need someone to be my first officer. I need someone who also understands the ambassador side of things. The thing working behind the scenes. Someone who's trying to unite people. And I, yeah, let's go find Spock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or he's just like, well, hey, I happen to be in the neighborhood. Wonder what's happening on talk <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to head candidate as uh, he probably is like, hmm, I need someone that is not going to look suspicious for suddenly disappearing from Starfleet because Spock's not an active officer anymore. Oh, actually, he is. They never changed any of his command codes. <laughs> Either, you know, to honor him or oversight. And he says it's probably oversight. <laughs> yeah, it probably is. It probably is. But uh yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm trying to look at it from a point of view of, okay, I'm on my own. I need allies and I need a ship. Who can I go to to help me with that? I can't go to Picard. I can't go back home. Who am I going to find? Picard just handing out chips to everybody who comes by asking for one. <laughs> everybody. Absolutely everybody. It's like, oh, you need a ship? Here you go. <laughs> I also, just as an aside, I love Worf's arrival on Chaltok 4, where the shuttle is crashing, so he beams out, but beams to the exact point where the shuttle is going to crash into, <laughs> and looks up and goes, ah, and jumps out of the way. That was something you could only do in a comic, and that was great. That was so, that was comical in every sense of the word. <laughs> it was brilliant. I loved it. It was just... Again, so well done. And again, thank you for the artwork because that made it obvious as to what was happening. Mm -hmm. Which is not always easy. I'm Like I've it's mentioned not. last episode, I've been reading a lot more comics and there are times where like there's a five page fight scene and I'm like, I have no idea what is happening here. Yes, I found just overall these five issues to be very coherent. Mm -hmm. I was never trying to figure out, okay, is this 
a panel that goes all the way across the page or not. Right. It was always obvious. It was always clear. And that is very much appreciated. Well, you, you mentioned it briefly earlier, but maybe this is a good time to gush a little bit about the artwork because I agree with you completely. The artwork in here is stunning. It is all done by one artist throughout, which was one of the issues I had with the the Star Trek mainline series. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Angel Unzueta is credited as the artist, and they do such an incredible job here. Mm. The likenesses are so good. The facial expressions, like you said, are just perfect. Like when people have a funny look on their face, it looks perfect when they're angry or serious. It totally comes across. And not once did I ever question which character was was which, because mm-hmm. that happens sometimes. And I mean, yeah, all of these characters are very distinctive looking, but at the same time, like, they don't have to be. The likenesses are so good. It's, it's beautiful. I, d- I can't think of a, another Star Trek comic that I've seen recently, like within the last year, that has had art this good. That is not a complaint about previous art. This mm-hmm. is just so next level. It's, yeah, it's exactly. done. And, and I found myself taking a lot more time when reading these issues because I wanted to focus on the dialogue, but I also wanted to focus on the artwork. And it probably took me twice as long to read these five issues as opposed to how long it took me to read the six first issues of star trek the you know overarching series Mm -hmm. it was it was just it's just that good and like even some of the the choices made for other ancillary characters and stuff Mm. right like i'm looking in i think it's issue two when they're breaking into the section 31 facility and the two Mm -hmm. guards they encounter yes one of them is an antican from season one of tng those kind of dog type people yes And the other guy is what appears to be a human, but he's got such a distinctive look. He has these big, huge mutton chops and this like really weak chin. And you don't, (laughs) you don't see that kind of variation in live action Star Trek, let alone comics where you can do anything. People just kind of look like generic person number three. But this guy, I'm like, who is he modeled on? Because I feel like he's modeled on someone. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. The mutton chops are to detract from the weak chin. Don't you see? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. I, I just, I love it. I love it. I love how all of this was laid out. I love the care with which all the characters were drawn. And I love the care with which the people we're never going to see again are drawn. Yeah. <laughs> like those two people. Stuff where you don't have yeah. to, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just brilliant. And then other choices in this that I love. The Orion ship has kind of the yes. shape and look of like the animated series Orion ships. And even mm-hmm. like the helmets and stuff that the Orions wear look like the ones from the Pirates of Orion in TAS, right? Or the Pirates Absolutely. of Orion, if uh, you go by the pronunciations in the episode. Uh, by the pronunciation of one, which <laughs> which then they made everybody say it that way. And it's wrong. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I I love this. And then this is where we get that other character, this this Orion doctor, whose name we don't even know yet. I love this character design with the super funky glasses and mohawk going on. And the piercing piercing in her nose with the chains going back to her ears. Just, um, well, I'm assuming it's a she. I don't, they never really clarified if, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, binary non-binary etc but and and i don't think they ever state that they're a doctor in fact they think they protest that they're not a doctor but they know some things i said that as a shorthand but i didn't know if medic was too low or too uh diminishing of their abilities i don't know but yeah not a medical doctor for sure (laughs) 
an opportunist. <laughs> Definitely not trained. Uh, picking up things along the way seems like. I, I think there's an interesting story to be told with this character because, as as they state several times, they're not beholden to any cause. Right? They're not in this to fight the red path or anything like that. But at one point, they have a conversation with one of the Defiant crew members, and they say, you know, oh, maybe in the course of this, you'll learn that fighting for a cause is worth it or whatever. So I'm thinking, yeah, they're going to have some sort of arc along those lines in the course of this. Well, and there's there's something else that kind of looks like that, too. It's not it's not going to be the first time that they're going to have to uh, convince this Orion to go along with them mm-hmm. and to go out on a limb. Very interesting character. Interesting why they won't get their name. I want to know mm-hmm. the story behind why they won't give a name or why just why not just give a fake name so that, you know, they don't go around saying, hey, you <laughs> just <laughs> just uh, give out any name. You don't have to give them your real name. Just give out any name. But they won't even do that. Well, another character that I want to talk about is Rolaren because uh, she is busted out of prison, basically, by Worf and Spock. And they get her to kind of go along with them by offering a commutation of her life sentence for her assistance. You know, when once everything's sorted, Worf's going to pull some strings and Spock, presumably as well, to um, get her life sentence commuted, which explains why we see her recommissioned in Star Trek Picard or goes some way to adding to that explanation we got there. Mm -hmm. Um, And also has to be the face of the theft of the Defiant. The Defiant has been officially stolen by Rolaren, I guess. And and they're, (laughs) you know, kind of using her as a bit of a scapegoat here. I thought that was an interesting way to move forward on this. Well, it makes sense because you don't want to show Worf. You don't want to show Bellana. You don't want to show anyone that is known to have a good relationship with Starfleet. So, Mm. of course, you're going to use Rolaren. I mean, why wouldn't you? Besides that, she's she's smart and she's got good instincts. And uh, yeah, she can be a little irritable, but it's prison can do that to you. Mm-hmm. Well, we've also got Balana Torres as part of this crew. <laughs> and yeah, man, do she and Ro ever snipe at each other throughout all of this. And uh, there are some bad, there's some bad blood between them with Bolana seeing Ro as just a traitor to the Maquis cause because she was a Starfleet spy that was, you know, working in the Maquis. But then Ro actually joined the Maquis, which Bolana is skeptical of. And Ro kind of keeps saying like, oh, you were just off in the Delta Quadrant while, you know, us Maquis were dealing with everything. And I, I, appreciated their points of view but it to me it got a little old after a while like i just i was like come on this is what happens when two people who are extremely alike yes (laughs) can only see the bad parts of themselves in the other person Mm -hmm. that's what's going on there is they are too much alike to understand what they're doing that they actually have very similar experiences, though one was in the Delta Quadrant and one was with the Maquis, they still had extraordinary circumstances happen to them through no fault of their own. And also, you know, Bolana was treated as a betrayer to Starfleet when she first was on Voyager. So, you know, all the Maquis were. Mm-hmm. So they have... They have so much in common and they don't want to admit that. Mm-hmm. They're so much alike. And they if they would just realize that they could really be a good team together, I think. And at one point, I do like that they go over the top with the sniping at each other while in the custody of the Orions and they go to break them up and then they, you know, both beat the crap out of the Orions. And you're like, <laughs> oh, it was all a ruse. <laughs> And, you know, Rose, like, I meant every word I said. And Blonde is like, well, so did I. <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, and see, it's it's this whole idea. It's all about their own self-image, honestly. And mm. they're projecting onto the other person. And honestly, I wish they'd figure it out because they're stronger together, really. Exactly, can you, yeah. can you imagine if they were just getting along? 
how much stuff they could get done and how yeah. efficiently they could get it done and how they could strike terror into a lot of people that need to have the terror struck into them. So I, I just, I wish that they would figure that out, but it's very true to both of their characters, honestly. Yeah. Now I feel like if Bolana and company had not gone to the Delta Quadrant, Roe and Bolana would have teamed up, taken out Michael Eddington and like defeated the Cardassians with the Maquis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, right? Screw you, Eddington. We're taking over and yeah. we get this done. <laughs> Quit being a zealot. And by the way, by the way, you are not Valjean. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying, Javert? <laughs> like, oh, hell no. <laughs> oh, hell no. You did not read Les Miserables. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you so much for downloading this episode of Positively Trek. We truly do appreciate each and every one of our listeners, and I'd like to especially thank our Patreon supporters. Thank you to our Constitution Class supporters, Jim Stoffel, Joyce Marin, and Paul D. Kinnear. If you'd like to become a supporter of Positively Trek and join our crew, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can get early access to episodes, exclusive content, shoutouts, associate producer credits, ad-free episodes, episodes, and more. Again, that's patreon.com slash positively trek. Thank you all and live long and prosper. Well, let's uh, talk a little bit about lore then because, oh, yes. oh my goodness, this is, I don't know. It's, it's like uncaging a weapon of mass destruction and mm-hmm. trusting it to just be on your side, I guess. However, so far has been surprisingly cooperative and hasn't shown a ton of megalomaniacal tendencies other than the odd comment here or there, which <laughs> causes someone to look at him sideways. And he's like, mm, eh. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of enjoying his whole attitude. And also the revelation that he seems to be calmed down when he's tackling a scientific puzzle, like basically keep him occupied, keep him engaged <laughs> because if he gets bored, he's going to, you know, kill everybody and sell you out to the Borg or something. Right. Yes. Well, and, and I love in the beginning of this uh, series, how they keep talking, how Spock and, and Worf talk about science. And they always put yeah. this emphasis on science. Well, we sh- <laughs> will consult science. And I'm like, what What are you referring to? You ha- Don't you have a science officer? And then we find out that mm-hmm. science is, is lore. <laughs> yep. And it's all to... Basically, so they don't have to admit it to themselves. They don't have to say mm-hmm. his name. They can just use this this comfortable euphemism, science. You know, give it to science. He'll figure it out. You mean, lo- yeah, yeah, you know who I mean. <laughs> you know, and honestly, I just, um, I find this this particular version of lore so entertaining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, in a, in a fun way, because... Yes, lore was always over the top, but most of the time it was just annoying. Yeah. Like, I was never amused by lore, ever. Me either. Me either. This lore has made me laugh out loud. Yes. Reading completely by myself, I laughed out loud. One part in particular. But yeah, Mm -hmm. he's been surprisingly amusing. (laughs) Yeah. Enjoyable, I would say. Yeah. And yet, again, we all know it's not going to end well. So... The part that made me laugh out loud was uh, 
we have Sila, who we're going to get to as well, because I want to talk about her. But she becomes wrapped up into this and basically blackmails her way into coming along and being a part of the crew, which, as we've said, Worf is his temper is running really high. So they're around this conference table. He rips up the conference table and throws it at a wall after Sila makes her gambit to stay aboard. And everyone's sitting there and Lore turns to Sila and goes, Welcome aboard, I suppose. (laughs) So good. (laughs) And his face, too. He just does this shrug and is just like... Yeah, and that that point where he's talking to Sila and says, "Oh yeah, you're a uh, worst girlfriend's or your your data's girlfriend's daughter, huh?" <laughs> I almost feel like I'm with family here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving that so much about this comic. Like, we'll talk a little bit about whether we think this goes too far or not, but why wouldn't we ever get to see Lore interact with Sila and see what that looks like, or you know? Rowan Spock, sure, why not? Like it, it, it's so all over the place with bringing these characters together, but it's these meetings and these interactions that I didn't know I wanted more than anything. But now that I get them, I'm like, yes, this is great. We have all these resources in the Star Trek universe, and Christopher Cantwell is just using them to the fullest extent here, and I am loving the hell out of it. I agree completely. I have never understood this whole thing of, oh, we can't have those characters mix. They weren't in series that were close enough to each other, whatever. Who cares? The Star Trek universe is vast, and especially the amount of Star Trek characters that exist within a specific time frame. Yes, use the hell out of them. I want to see them all. Mix them up. Mix them up. It'll be fun i want to see those things and that's what they're giving me in this they're giving me this thing to sink my teeth into and never let go and i want more and yeah i mean i for the most part agree as long as the characters have a reason to be there and they're used in a way that like is entertaining like i feel like in some properties and and i'm not even thinking of any specific example or anything right now but i just know that i've seen this thing where like let's bring in this character to shock everybody at the end of an episode or something and then they kind Mm -hmm. of just don't really do anything with them but in this story yeah they're bringing these characters together and some people might scream out small universe syndrome ah but he's using the characters so well i don't care you are Mm -hmm. forgiven everything because lore is making me laugh Um, There's also still that building tension that like, okay, when is he going to be all evil? Because we know he's going to at some point. Sila. Let's talk about Sila now, because this is a character who has been incredibly ineffectual whenever we've seen her in Star Trek. But they acknowledge that and go with that here. Her career is in shambles because she failed at at igniting this Klingon civil war and using that for the Romulans advantage. She failed in this invasion of Vulcan with 15,000 troops, by the way, for a whole planet. That was really dumb. And she's not held in favor in the Romulan government. So she's basically desperately trying to do anything to get some of that prestige back. And I think that's great. She's making me laugh too. I love when she's musing about like, oh, this incredible power that that Kalis wields. He wants to become a god and like, oh, he could rule the galaxy, but he's not he's not good enough for that or whatever. And Lore looks at her and is like, yeah, neither are you. You're not going to do that. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> like, I just I love also. Can I just mention that like. How many villains are we going to bring onto this crew? And Sila's like, villain. <laughs> and then uh, and then Worf's like, maybe we each get one, referring to Spock reassembling lore. <laughs> and I'm like, they're just like playing, you know, Star Trek the customizable card game, and they just played the Sila card. I love it. <laughs> it's so good. It's 
so good. Yeah, it's it's that it's that thing about Sela is that she's got all the confidence in the world that she can do a thing, but she never actually plans anything out in an effectual way. It's like she's got the idea, but she can't execute it well ever. And it's you know it's she's the victim of a an episodic television show where the villain has to lose right yeah so part of me feels a little bad for her but i like that they're actually using that continuity here and exactly. making her pretty pathetic <laughs> well and the thing is you know in the in the comics they have you know pages where they have like logs or reports or something like that and we see some of her reports that are reporting back to you know what what would you call it? Romulan headquarters? Whatever. Tal the Tal Shiar, Shiar I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Tal Shiar, head of Tal Shiar operations, whatever. And uh, she's not, she's not dumb. She's just <laughs> ineffectual. And like weirdly naive. Yeah. Like she's like, can I get a warbird, please? I need a better <laughs> ship. My ship sucks. I'm just going to find a ship. I guess I'll just find a ship. Don't worry about it. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Can you imagine her handler reading this going, oh, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. And, and people would be like, is it, is it Sela again? And would be like, yeah. <laughs> again. She wants a ship this time. Again. <laughs> oh, man. It must be like, you know, the Commodores in the original series getting a report from the Enterprise. Like, oh, no. Oh, the, yes. the giant hand of Apollo grabbed the Enterprise? Oh, okay, sure. Uh, oh, your chief engineer murdered a bunch of people, but he was possessed by Jack the Ripper. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. Trelane, let's explain that. Anyway, not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I'm waiting for Trelane to show up in these stories. Oh, I'm excited. Okay, anyway. Um... So yeah, I'm I'm into this. I'm loving the interplay of these characters. And honestly, the the whole five issues is them trying to track down Kalis. And the thing I find interesting is they never quite do by the end of these five issues. Of course, it's going to keep going, but we get this kind of message from Kalis left behind on the bridge of this destroyed starship which kind of brings into focus what this is all about, what they're doing and what Kalis is trying to do. And also the revelation that his weapon somehow absorbs the, the abilities of the gods he's killing as well. And kind of showing that he's on a path to become a God himself, or that seems to be his goal. Uh, what do you think of, of the progress that's made in the mission over the course of this story? Well, it's, it's fascinating because we start to find out what the red sacrament red path sacrament actually is mm. and ketracel red yeah basically <laughs> it's it's adrenaline and ketracel and it's like wait what why would you do that and the the thing that that they figure out is that it's not making people braver it's making it's triggering fear Mm -hmm. Because that's what that's how adrenaline starts is a fear response. And so he's basically keeping them all in line with fear, which just is like, wow, I hadn't ever thought of adrenaline specifically in that way before. But mm -hmm. it's true. But it's also it's also like dictator slash cult leader 101, right? Like, absolutely. That's, that's, that's what you do. What, yeah. That's what's happening now in, in, you know, far right circles and stuff. The, 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 your way of life is going to be completely changed and destroyed by the people in power. You've got to follow me because I'm going to fight for you. It's what exactly what Hitler did, you know, creating the scapegoat of the Jews who are going to destroy your way of life and all of this stuff. Right. It's, it's. Dictator 101. That's always what they do. They take people who are disenfranchised or otherwise upset because of their own circumstances, which honestly, a lot of the time are their own doing, and say, this isn't your fault. Look at this guy. Mm -hmm. This guy is responsible for all of your problems. And we see people doing that today. Mm -hmm. It's happening right now. In various countries, including mine, mm -hmm. and it's and it's mine. just yeah, it's just always this way 
of trying to keep power by making people fear what they don't understand, Mm -hmm. fear that someone's going to take away what they have, uh, and fear that that person is really responsible for every bad thing that's ever happened to them. It's ridiculous, but it's effective. Yeah, absolutely. One thing in this story that Worf has been reluctant to do because he's, you know, all upset with him and stuff is uh, talk with Cisco and coordinate with Cisco on what's going on. And Spock kind of urges him to a few times. And even at one point, and I love this, he's like, you've got, you've got lore in there and you've got Sila and you're trusting them, but you are friends with Cisco and you won't trust him. I thought that was an interesting tack to take, but by the end of this, after seeing Kalis's message and what he's intending to do, he sets a course for Kronos and orders them to hail the hail Cisco on the Theseus. So setting up a day of blood by the looks of it and what's coming next. Very much setting up Day of Blood, which I'm not going to talk about because I have read. We'll cover that one. We still have another collection of the mainline Star Trek series to do, which will be the next episode. But then uh, a few episodes later, when the Day of Blood omnibus comes out, I think that'll be a good time to tackle that crossover story because that one has both Star Trek and Star Trek Defiant stories that kind of all weave together there. So. Uh, and I have not read them. This is as far as I've read. So I I know nothing. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of nice because I kind of let my comics build up for a bit and then read a chunk all at once. And it's very satisfying because if I had to go a month waiting for the next <laughs> issue, I'd probably be going out of my mind a little bit. But uh, but yeah, this this has been, I think, my favorite five issues of a, a new series that I've seen in a while as far as Star Trek is concerned. And uh, that's not to denigrate anything that came before it. I'm just saying this one's really on the mark for me as far as writing and especially with the artwork and just the general way that the story is told. I think that it's just one of the best that's that's been out there so far. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I was so blown away by these stories in a way that like I was not expecting at all. Mm-hmm. I thought I kind of thought the main Star Trek series would be like that's where I'm really investing everything in this defiant little side quest thing. That that'll be interesting. It's kind of become the other way around for me. Like uh I'm interested absolutely in the flagship series and enjoying it, but I cannot wait to get back to Defiant and Worf and everything that's going on here. I never expected I'd be so fascinated with what Lore's going to do next because, like, I was not a big fan of Lore. Like, his first appearance, I really hate him. I think his most interesting appearance was in Brothers, but even then he's just, he's terrible. And then Descent, like, let's not even talk about him. Ugh. But this, Mm-mm. I'm so fascinated by him here. And like, what's going to happen? This is so good. Sila? Okay. Yeah, I'm on board. Again, another character who, whenever she showed up, I was kind of rolling my eyes a bit. But when she shows up in here, I'm really curious to see where this all goes. So top marks for me and then add in the the artwork and the storytelling. It's just so good. Oh, there's one thing that I wanted to say about Lore that I really liked that they called attention to in this story. And that was when Lore was basically reactivated, his head anyway. He's like, oh, is it there? No, no, it's not there anymore. And mm, uh, he says, right. and he basically says, does Data have it? And and Spock says, yes. And he said, that's good. It wasn't meant, it wasn't made for me. And I think that's what made me do the things you do. And I'm like, hmm. I'm not sure that I would blame it on the chip, but okay. Yeah. But, it's, it's, but I like that they called attention to that, that he knew that the chip was missing, that he says it it wasn't made for me and it caused me some problems. And I, I, I believe that it did cause him some problems, but no, it's not the reason that he's a terrible android. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of appreciated that because it it does give them a little bit of an out for Lore maybe being a little bit reformed because, mm. yeah, he was terrible in the episode Data Lore. 
and brothers, but without the chip, maybe he wouldn't have allied with the Borg and tried to take over the Federation. Maybe. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Okay. You know, the like high level egregious, really egregious stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. They can, they can use that as an excuse to kind of file his rough edges a little bit. I'll, I'll give them that. Okay. You earned that. (laughs) I just, I just thought it was an interesting way. And like, thank you for calling that out. Mm-hmm. That he knows that the chip was not made for him and therefore was not compatible with certain aspects of his existence. Let's say. Yeah. This this writer knows what the hell he's doing. Let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I I would love to get in contact with him, which is not outside the realm of possibility. I'd love to talk to him in a future episode about some of this stuff. So but can I be there if you do? Uh yeah, of course. You're the comic person. <laughs> thank you final thoughts i think i know your what level your ratings are anyway yeah well i think i've been pretty clear about how much i enjoyed this and just every aspect of it the the thing is that's interesting is you can have good writing and maybe not great artwork or you can have great artwork and maybe not great writing but we've got both working here and the little bits of humor you know that has always been a part of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But this is, you know, this isn't your cheesy look to the camera and wink sort of thing. It is just, it's perfectly written for the character which is displaying said humor. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely within character. This writer knows these characters and knows how they talk, you know, the way that they phrase things, uh, what will piss them off. And it is so apparent that you just get lost in it. And once you've read it, and then you think, wow, I need to read that again. And so I read it again. And then I realize, yes, this is this is like someone has breathed in everything that is Star Trek and just put it out on this in this series. It's I don't know how else to explain it. I'm not finding the right words. But yeah, I, I, I totally this, get it. Yeah. Read this very highly. Yeah. <laughs> definitely yeah i mean i i just echo your thoughts here i i think i've been clear how much i love this and how much i'm enjoying it and how well he captures these characters voices absolutely one other little side thing i want to mention there's one comic frame that that shows this perfectly how many of these characters all have big huge what are they called the shoulder things are those pauldrons pauldrons yeah yeah, like they've they've coordinated very well. Like Sela, Worf, and uh, Lore <laughs> all have these big, huge pauldrons on their shoulders, and there's one shot that has the three of them there, and I'm like, that looks really silly, but I kind of love it. <laughs> oh yeah, there was there was only one thing that I didn't say that I need to say because to me it is inexcusable how this was not caught, and that was the incorrect Vulcan salute mm. that Spock had. In the flashback on right. Chantek 4. That is not ever going to be okay. You should know <laughs> by now who let that art go through. I certainly hope somebody was fired over that one. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that. I'm just kidding. I don't want I'm that. I'm just kidding. I was just, uh, I was paraphrasing a Simpsons episode there. <laughs> There's a part of me that wonders if they just left it in to see how many people would be up in arms over it. <laughs> Well, I do know some people online that would also be just apoplectic that he used his left hand to do the Vulcan salute too. There's no problem with that. Spock didn't tend to use his left, but in the very episode, and I'm speaking directly to one person who I argued with online because that's always productive at one Mm -hmm. point in my life. In the very episode where they introduced the Vulcan salute, Spock did it with his right hand and T'Pau did it with her left. Mm-hmm. And Tuvok always did it with his left because he's left-handed. So don't get in a snit about Michael Burnham doing it with her left hand. That's fine. Yeah, there is nothing anywhere in any lore that states that you have to do it with a certain hand. Nope. And in fact, if you look <laughs> at the symbols that the that it's based on you see it done in with both hands at the same time mm-hmm. you know so just just go worry about something else okay <laughs> just 
Just go. Just go. Exactly. Well, Brandy, when we're not uh, discussing the correct Vulcan hand salutes on the podcast, where can people find you? <laughs> um, places. You can find me on Twitter. I'm never calling it X, folks. Never. At Brandy112. I spell my name with an I. And Mastodon is Brandywine at ravenation.club. And Blue Sky is brandywine.bsky.whatever that third one. Social, that's it. You can find me on Instagram as just Brandy Jackala. Threads the same way. I think that's it. And uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. You can find the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook and uh, reach out to us, PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. Um, I'm not yet on Blue Sky. I do need to do that. I'm sorry. Dude, I have I all of the codes. Why don't you use one? <laughs> I know. Um, I am on Threads, interestingly, just because I clicked a thing when I was in Instagram and now apparently I have a Threads and I think that would be Kurtrats47 because that's what I am on, on Instagram. And uh, Mastodon, uh, Kurtrats at mstdn.ca. Also, my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Productions. So that's where you can find me. Thank you all so much for listening this week. This was so much fun. I cannot wait to get further into this story. And uh, next time we will be talking about The Red Path, the next collection of the Star Trek flagship series. But until then, as always, stay positive. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.